All righty. Good afternoon, everybody. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Happy Friday. Good weekend to everybody coming up. Wiz, how are you doing? Yeah, doing doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. It's getting uh, it's getting closer to uh, you know the time where you really start uh, start thinking about this, and and uh, and uh, as it gets closer to the season, the rankings and all of that. So it's a very very uh, very exciting time of the year as we start really thinking about uh, uh, the season. It gets close uh, OTAs, and then uh, and then you know you really start. Delving into the fantasy football season, and uh, we're going to have an interesting topic that you uh, thought of in terms of wide receivers. So, uh, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it definitely will do uh, in just a second. I, and I, I just want to again point out, like, you know, when you're heading into this kind of preseason uh, analysis of what happens, you know, you're going to have a lot of opinions based on what happened last year. Uh, there's certainly a lot of changes that are going on between free agency signings and what happened in the draft. I, I, again, I, I would implore people to really pay very close attention to what the beat writers have to say. Uh, they have the opportunity, especially this year, although I still think at the moment, uh, as far as getting in locker rooms, I, I think that's a little bit of a challenge for them. But at least they're actually witnessing practice firsthand. Uh, there's a lot of information coming out of those beat writer columns, whether it's on Twitter or in the newspapers, if you actually follow them. And, you know, it's something that I've done for a number of years. Uh, it, it's become much more prevalent on Twitter. And, and I think it's just a very good way to, to kind of prepare. Look, you, you're always going to have your own idea and analysis about players. Like I said, how guys finished out the year last year and situations changing. But, you know, get, getting some of that insight from people on the ground, you know, I, I wish I had the opportunity to go to every camp. I, I don't have that luxury. But, but I think, you know, paying close attention to what goes on from the beat writers is, is, is a very important uh, part of the process, at least for me it is, Wiz. Yeah, cer- certainly, you know, you just always have to go through the minutia of what disinformation and some of the coaches talk oh, yeah. and, you know, really try and get, you know, as you said, you know, over the years, there are certain beat writers, which, you know, who are really on, you know, the, 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 have the pulse of the team of what's going on. So as long as you can do that and it not become too confusing, uh, I agree with what you're saying that it can really be an advantage helping you try and uh, sort through a lot of uh, team by team issues. All right, and uh, you know, hopefully you, you folks listened out there. We, we just finished up a wrap-up at each position. We, we kind of tried to predict in, in, in some of the players at each position between quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end where we thought the widest, widest margins of outcomes on a couple of players. And it got me to thinking in particular at a wide receiver where – you know, I'm still kind of looking at a few situations, and it's more than a few, actually. I came up with eight or nine. Uh, and if I look at the wide receiving cores on particular teams, it's very difficult for me to kind of pinpoint who I think has the most value, at least at this point in time, until I get a little bit more information uh, in, in terms of valuing some of those receiving cores out there where, you know, the options at, at both spot one, two, and three in the receiving core uh, all look very compelling and it's kind of hard to say in which direction it goes in and you know it leads to it leads to how you strategize in in, a, in in both an auction draft and in a snake draft on where you think players will go and I think uh it, it's it's tricky and and it's a fun exercise uh so I asked Wiz to take a look at at a few teams around the league we didn't discuss the teams that we picked but uh you know as usual we're gonna we're gonna have a little banter about it and uh I, you know I'm gonna start right off the bat Wiz if you don't mind with with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you know when I really took a close analysis of this and and I talked about Chris Godwin on the widest margins of outcomes but when you look at what transpired in the second half of the season when Antonio Brown was a full-blown member of Tampa Bay Buccaneers on their way to a Super Bowl. I was kind of shocked to see in the eight games he played as a Buccaneer, uh, 63 targets Mike Evans, 61 targets Antonio Brown, and 55 targets Chris Godwin. And, you know, I scratch my head here as I go into the season, and all gifted players, uh, all different situations, all different levels in terms of experience in the NFL. Mike 
Mike Evans, I think, is on the verge of breaking a record if he goes over 1,000 yards this particular season. Chris Godwin with a tremendous season two years ago, kind of fell off last year. We know what Antonio Brown has done both on and off the field over the last few years. But I was kind of shocked, Wiz, when I looked at the situation in terms of targets. And, you, you know, when I, when I even delve into this a little closer, it makes me probably think at this point in time that Antonio Brown is being undervalued coming into these drafts as opposed to the other two guys and that the landscape for these players in terms of fantasy may be a little bit more balanced than it looks on the surface. Maybe I'm overstating that, but I, you know, I, I, it leads to an interesting conversation about this, about this particular group. Yeah. I mean, when you, when I looked at, you know, the teams and um, that have, a, you know, three wide receivers where, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, we're trying to figure out like kind of what the pecking order is going to be. And when I looked at it, there were several teams where I didn't think any of the receivers, even though, you know, when you have a team, usually the number one receiver uh, who ends up being is going to be fantasy relevant. But there were teams that I looked at where I thought, oh, I don't know, even the number one guy may not be as fantasy relevant. But the Bucks are one of the I think three or four teams that I felt were all three receivers not only could be fantasy relevant, but I think all three of these receivers can be wide receiver two or better um, for the season, which is saying a lot uh, to have three receivers in the top 25 or 30 um, in, you know, at the end of the year at the wide receiver position. But to your point, yeah, I think uh, it's all about value. I think, you know, a lot of people will look at it, and I think probably most people in the fantasy community will have Antonio Brown third on the pecking order. And I'm not necessarily going to dispute that, but I will dispute it if you try and tell me that, price-wise and draft-wise in a snake draft that he's going to go well after the other two guys in a snake draft. So I may agree that he could be third in the pecking order on that offense, but I don't think the disparity is much at all. And uh, I think, to your point, you may end up getting a lot of fantasy value with Antonio Brown this year. So, so uh, you know, it's also interesting, Wiz, when you look at um – you know, the, the game, the passing game in the NFL has, has certainly changed a lot. Tom Brady, an older quarterback, but still at the same time, you know, Tampa Bay still ranked in the top 10 for passing attempts to, to wide receivers, uh, you know, by a by a long margin over a lot of other teams. And there are some teams where the tight end is the main target, like the Las Vegas Raiders, for example. Uh, so the wide receivers don't get as much targets. But I was actually quite impressed with the amount of targets that that wide receivers do get on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like I said, they rank they rank in the top 10. And, and, and when I end up looking at the exercise that I just did, uh, in, in the case of a number of these teams that, that I looked at where, where there were three wide receivers where it was kind of difficult to discern uh, their fantasy value, Almost all of them ranked kind of in the top half of the NFL in terms of uh, in, in terms of passing attempts to wide receivers. So, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I think I think Antonio Brown will be drafted third amongst those receivers, but I'm not quite sure that should be the case. So I, I look forward to see how things kind of evolve as we get closer to the draft. So why don't you, why don't you take us uh, with, with one of the teams that you looked at was uh, for this exercise? To, to what I just talked about a minute ago, I'm going to put two teams together um, that I think the receivers are very, very close. You may have a tough time trying liking them this year. But I'll be honest, I'm not sure any of the six receivers are going to be fantasy relevant on these two teams. I'm talking about the Patriots and Lions, where the Pats have Nelson Aguilar, who they threw a lot of money on. Um, they 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 also have uh, you know Jacoby Myers uh, has the advantage of you know having reps with Cam Newton and playing in the system a couple years and then Kendrick Bourne they signed as well so I know Aguilar in most people's you know minds I guess is the top guy there I'm not sure how that's going to play out I think all three of them are fairly close I don't know how you feel about it but I'm not sure any of those guys are going to be fantasy relevant this year and with the Lions it's kind of the same thing Perriman and 
Terrell Williams come over from different teams for the Lions, and then they draft him on St. Brown uh, as a rookie. So those are the top three wide receivers. But again, you know, it's it's difficult for this to be true. But, you know, when you have teams that have three wide receivers where you don't think any of them may be in the top 40 or so, um, it is difficult. So I look at those two teams where I think it's, it's, it's interesting to try and figure out a pecking order but I'm not sure this season, at least, any of those receivers are going to be fantasy relevant. I don't know if you see it a different way or how you look at those two teams. Yeah, both both of those teams are on my list as well. I actually saw today that, uh, remember the kid last year who got signed like midway through the season for the uh, for the uh, Houston Texans, Chad Hansen, and, and, and actually made a little bit of fantasy he noise. Well. He had some decent games down the stretch with Watson. He played well. Yeah, he did. And he, so he got signed by the Lions today. Um, Geronimo Allison, who opted out last year, is on this roster. Last year, they, dra- they, yep, they yeah. drafted Quentin Cephas last year. I'm in tr- I got to tell you, and, and obviously Dan Campbell is a new coach, a new system. Last year, the Lions did throw the ball a lot. Uh, I'm not sure w- what things are going to look like under Dan Campbell. It's going to be a new offense. Anthony Lynn is the offensive coordinator in Detroit. So, you know, I, I kind of want to watch the situation closely. I'm in the camp with you in the, in the case of both of these teams. I'm going to find it probably in most standard leagues where you're drafting somewhere between 16 and 18 players. It's pretty doubtful that too many players from these two receiving cores get drafted. I'm probably a lot more intrigued about what happens in New England if Mac Jones is the quarterback at the start of the season. You know, we talked a little bit yesterday about uh, John o. Smith and, and Hunter Henry at, at tight end, and, and they're going to be a part of that offense for sure. Uh, you know, Jared Goff, the new quarterback in Detroit. Um, I don't think a lot of these guys get drafted, but I am going to watch very closely because I think in a situation like this, there is a potential for a guy or two to stand out amongst this group of whatever. Uh, We're thinking about eight or nine receivers here between the two teams. Uh, My guess is that two or three of them will be on on the fantasy radar, probably within a few weeks on the waiver wire. I don't think a lot of these guys get drafted, like I said, in standard leagues. But I do think there's probably a good chance that someone makes a strong enough impression that after a few weeks, they will end up being one of those top pickups out there. Do you have a view in either of those teams who that player might be? Or? Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. I, I do with Detroit. I, I, I actually am in growing in confidence with Detroit that, that both Quintus Cephas and, 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 and St. Brown are going to be a bigger part of this offense. I think when it comes to Perryman and Tyrell Williams, they've had a, a lot of opportunity in this league on different teams inconsistent performances already. Uh, Sam Brown comes in with, with you know, I, I think he I think he fits perfectly to play the slot position. There, there is early rumblings about Quintus Cephas and the way he's playing. He did get some action last year. A couple of games were relevant. But those are the two players that I have the closest eye on Detroit. I'm a little bit less intrigued on the, on the New England side of things, unless, of course, like I said, Mac Jones was the quarterback. I, I just... I'm not going near it with Cam Newton, so I'm staying away. Staying away from it if it's Cam Newton. If it's Mac Jones, I'm going to look a lot more closer at the situation. But I think St. Brown and and Quentin Cephas are guys that I'm going to be paying close attention to in the preseason in Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to be asking, well, you know, you know, you're talking about three, four, five receivers. Somebody's got to catch, you know, a lot of passes, uh, you know, at wide receiver. And my response to that would be, I think. T.J. Hawkinson is going to lead the, t- the Lions in receptions, targets, and yardage this year. And then you may have a scattering of the other guys kind of contributing. So that's how I see it. But uh, we'll certainly see how it plays out. So uh, with that said, uh, who's next on your list? All right. Now, this, is a, this team is a situation where you're bringing in everything new. Last year, uh, you know, Wiz and I, we both kind of had a feeling that we thought Gardner Minshew would actually uh, play better football, that that was not the case. Uh, Jacksonville makes wholesale changes, new coach in Urban Meyer, new quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, number one pick in the draft. Uh, But there's some pieces here which are quite interesting, particularly at the receiver position. Now, they've already made some changes in the running back room. Uh, James Robinson had a brilliant year last year. They add Travis Etienne to that. Uh, But when you look at the receiving core of DJ Shark, uh, 
uh, LaVisca Chenault and, and Marvin Jones. It's an intriguing group. Uh, Mar uh, Urban Meyer likes to move players around at the receiver position. He, he likes to use the, those bubble screens. There's a lot of different things he likes to do in his previous offense when he was with Ohio State. Um, it, I, there's been some stories out already about him kind of pressing DJ Shark to kind of play harder and play bigger. Uh, we know that Chenault was a, an, an imposing figure who they used in the backfield at times last year, very physical guy, uh, you know, kind of fits into Urban Myers and wants, what he wants to do. And then there's Marvin Jones, who in the second half of last season uh, was a top five receiver, a guy that I couldn't stand uh, looking at him on our roster on one of our teams for the first half of the season. But without Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones went crazy. So when I look at this particular group, Trevor Lawrence comes in, he's got to develop a rapport with them. But, you know, I think it's an interesting group in that I believe that this offense will be playing with a passing game in mind and a more uh, inspired offense than we've seen in the past. And at the moment, I'm really not sure kind of how this plays out at the receiver position, what it means for fantasy. I, my lean is LaVisca Chenault ends up being the number one guy in this group from a fantasy perspective. But would I be surprised if one of the other guys actually shows up and, and plays a bigger role? No, I would not. Uh, and I'm curious to see what you think about this particular group, Wiz. I love LaVisca Chenault. He's the most physical receiver in the NFL since Heinz Ward. He plays the game hard. He's not looking to avoid contact. He's looking to, you know, bring the contact. He's one of these rare guys. But when it comes to his volume, it's all how he, you know, he's used. He was used in college on a lot of runs. He has that ability in him. So I, I don't know in what regard uh Meyer is going to use him. D.A. Shark is a big, talented receiver who's going to should like playing with Trevor Lawrence. Marvin Jones is is a terrific route runner. I agree. I have the Jags on my list um, as far as a pecking order goes. Boy, I mean, I, I, there's a lot to like about Lavisca Chenault, but. I'm going to really take the wait-and-see approach and kind of get a feel for how they're using him heading into the season and what their plans are. But I agree with you. Um, three interesting players, and uh, I love them bringing Marvin Jones into that wide receiver room to help them. And, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's an interesting situation as well. And unlike the Patriots and Lions, there's going to be at least one or two of these receivers that – are going to make some noise in terms of the fantasy football world this year, for sure. All right. Fantastic. All right, Wiz, on, on to your next team. Oh, let's see. On the, my next team, I'm going to go with the Raiders. Um, who, I mean, they bring over John Brown. Henry Ruggs was the first wide receiver taken. They haven't used Hunter Renfro in the correct way. Brian Edwards is a guy that, you know, they fought so highly of, and he looked dynamite, and then he was hurt and didn't get much playing time. So I think this is an interesting situation. Um, they're, they're, you know, if they just let Hunter Renfro play, I think he could be one of the best slot receivers in the National Football League. John Brown has shown that if he could stay on the field, he is an electrifying receiver. So there's a lot to like about him. And, and Henry Ruggs, I mean, if he worked on his skills and his craft in the offseason and was able to, you know, get in and out of his breaks a little bit better and just wasn't used on just deep passes a handful of times a game and was able to be on the field for, for, for much of the game, then he could be a terrific fantasy player as well. So there's a, it's a conundrum with these wide receivers. Uh, usage is always a big thing, and, you know, and, and no team more so with the Raiders because you're just not sure, you know, what Gruden is going to do. So I had a difficulty and have difficulty figuring out a pecking order for the Las Vegas Raiders this season. Uh, you know, it's funny, Wiz. Every time we talk about the Raiders, words like conundrum, puzzling, head-scratching, I mean— you know, it says it's an indictment, I believe, on John Gruden and and this particular football team to actually figure out what they have in this offense. Now, granted, 
Darren Waller is an elite talent, okay? He's the best receiver on this team. He needs to get the ball the way he did last year. I don't think they used him the right way in the red zone the previous year. Uh, and you and I both have an affinity for the player. We, I thought definitely, and I think you did as well last year, especially the way Hunter Renfro finished 2019, that last year he would be more relevant as a slot guy. That was not the case. Extremely inconsistent, almost at times you know, invisible in this offense. We've talked a lot about Henry Ruggs already, which, you know, again, maybe disadvantaged last year by by COVID and not being able to prepare properly. You know, you, you mentioned Smokey Brown. Uh, I'm a big Smokey Brown guy. We know what Aguilar did in this offense. Somebody is going to make a difference at receiver. I mean, my likely candidate is that probably Aguilar's workload gets kind of split up a little bit, but, you know, who knows? And, and, and Brian Edwards last year did make a lot of lo- noise in camp and in the preseason, but couldn't stay healthy. So... You know, at the end of the day, someone's going to someone's going to emerge from this group. The, the likelihood that only one or two of these guys gets drafted, and probably very very late and very cheaply in, in auction drafts, uh, that that's more than likely going to be the scenario coming into the year. But you know, look, the Raiders and, and Derek Carr actually had a very good season last year. I think I think John Gruden needs to wake up and and actually understand you know where the game is at because I think he's probably bringing down some of his players quite a bit with uh, a lot of his. Uh, uh, inane coaching decisions. So, yeah, I agree with you. Raiders on my list as well. A tough, a tough one to try to uh, figure out. Yeah, I mean, before I hand it over to you for your next team, I just want to say, unlike the Patriots and, and the Lions, I think there's a real chance if, if you know that one of those guys can really move up. And and the thing about all of those players, Renfro and Edwards certainly, but even you know and. Even Renfro and, and and even John Brown and um, and Henry Ruggs are going to go for next to nothing in terms of these drafts at an auction draft and rounds in a snake draft. So the thing about you know those players, I think, especially Brown and Ruggs, is that there's a real opportunity to hit a good you know uh, you know take a good swing of that pitch where you have like a three zero count and there's really nothing to to lose because I think the players are going to go for dirt cheap and they really could outperform um, their ADP, especially of those two players. So unlike the Lions and the Patriots and some of these other teams, I think there's a real chance for either Brown or Henry Ruggs uh, to outperform expectations. I think the other thing you have to keep in mind in this division, uh, I, and let's, let's say that Aaron Rodgers ends up playing quarterback for Denver. Well, certainly – Right then and there, the Raiders probably immediately move to the worst team in this division. Uh, they, that might be the case right now. The defense is not very good. They'll be playing from behind. So it, the view is, at least my view, is that the Raiders will be throwing the ball frequently, certainly in those six division games, and, and probably uh, more broadly across their schedule, 17-game schedule. So, so I agree with you. I think they're... There are definitely some uh, some some attempts that need to be made at Raider receivers. You know, you've got to determine. I, like I said, I, I think it's going to be Ruggs and and uh, and John Brown and the guys that ended up being drafted. But it's a situation that we should definitely keep an eye on. All right, and what do you got next? Okay, ne- next group I have Wiz, is the team that actually led the NFL in attempts to their wide receivers. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers were that team last year. Over 470 passes attempted to their wide receiving core. Uh, look, there's actually four guys here, because I think you've talked about this already, that, that Ben Roethlisberger does have some chemistry with James Washington, who is the fourth guy here and most definitely is not going to be drafted unless there is an injury in this particular group. Uh, the Steelers are rebuilding their offensive line. Uh, they've added a new running back uh, here in Najee Harris. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is coming back from reconstructive surgery. Uh, this team started 11-0 the second half of the season, though. It was a... Very strange offense, dink and dunk offense. And they have three receivers. One guy who was drafted last year in, in, in Claypool. Uh, the year before, they brought Deontay Johnson, and he ended up emerging as the number one producer on the fantasy landscape last year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then Juju Smith-Schuster, who was, uh, you want to talk about 
head scratching. The, the way this player was used last year at times was, was kind of very, very strange. Especially, remember, he started off the season. He had two touchdowns in that opening game night against, uh, against the Giants. Looked like he was going to be off and running, but there was some strange games when it came to Juju Smith-Schuster. He did sign. He took a one-year deal with, with the Steelers. It's a prove-it deal. So this is a difficult group. I think all three of these guys are going to be drafted. Uh, we know we have a lot of Steeler fans uh, in this, these parts, and uh, certainly that will be looked at closely how to value each one of them I think is very very tricky you could make it a case where each one of these guys is going to be the top fantasy producer on this particular team I think all guys in this particular group have a chance to be a number two or a number three receiver uh, I don't think a number one but maybe I'm wrong in that uh, but Wiz why don't you take out at, at the Pittsburgh Steelers and what you think about the situation yeah, I think there's concerns about all of those players. I think he has the best connection with Washington, but he plays the you know the, the least amount of snaps as a wide receiving core. I'm worried that teams kind of caught on to what they were using with Chase Claypool. They were taking away those jet sweeps. They were taking away the deep shots and making him work the, the middle of the field where that's not what he does best. And he kind of slowed down and was difficult to predict when he was going to have good games. Very, very erratic. Uh, Smith Schuster, uh, I don't know what he did. He took, he he decided to take less money and resign with Pittsburgh in Kansas City. I mean, I'm worried about the guy's state of mind. To be honest with you, uh, what kind of business decision is that? But look, um, his yards per catch was ridiculous. Uh, the routes he was running was ridiculous. If your offensive line can't protect, why are you lining up three yards behind the line of scrimmage? By the time you, by the time you get four yards down the field, they're already on Roethlisberger. I mean, uh, well, of course those attempts were all going to be three and four yard dunk, dinks and dunks. And um, Deontay Johnson, he seems to be the one that has the most potential. I'm sure that if you asked a hundred knowledgeable fantasy minds to rank the Steelers receivers from one to four, I'm sure the majority, the vast majority, would rank Deontay Johnson one. He still has a lot to learn. He drops a lot of passes. His concentration is lacking. But he's the guy uh, that probably has the chance, I would say, to end up as a wide receiver two for the season, uh, or even better that, maybe a little bit finish inside the top 20. But I don't trust any of those guys, and um, I could see myself in many leagues not having any Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers. Yeah, you know, you and I have kind of talked about the Steelers in general. This is kind of an interesting year for them. Uh, last year, you mentioned Deontay Johnson, number one in the NFL, sixteen drop passes, and you know there there were definite times that where concentration w- was lacking. But uh, I, I'm intrigued by the group, uh, but you know, I'm, it's not a group that I'm going to particularly reach for. If you know, in an auction league, if 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 I feel the player has value, I'll I'll definitely take a sniff. Uh, it's probably not players that I'm going to be reaching for in, in snake drafts either. That's kind of the way I'm viewing it. And I'm, I am still waiting to see, you know, look, I, I want to be proven that Ben Roethlisberger's arm is fine. And I also want to be proven that this offensive line can protect, protect the players. So uh, one thing I'd mentioned too is, you know, you mentioned James Washington. Uh, aside from Claypool, the other two guys were banged up a fair bit last year. So you know, Washington's a name that people should keep in mind. If there was an injury to one of these guys, uh, I, I, you would see very little change, I think, in production if Washington entered the starting lineup uh, for, for, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I think he has the best connection and feels comfortable throwing the ball deep to Washington. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll see how it plays out uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, there's a few teams left that I really want to get into. I'm sure you'll have them on your list as well. But uh, before I get into those teams that have some electrifying offenses and wide receivers just another team that i think is interesting from the standpoint of of what's going to happen for this year of trying to figure out the pecking order and that's the jets um where you have four guys um where they just re-signed jameson crowder he took a you know uh, he took less money to stay with the jets they still may move him but i'm not sure how that's going to work but they signed corey davis they Denzel Mims, who missed a lot of the year, but when he was playing, he showed his big play potential. And Elijah Moore, um, who uh, 
who the Jets drafted as well, an electrifying slot player. So this is an interesting situation. You have a rookie quarterback with these three young receivers. You know, I guess Davis is relatively young still, but Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims are rookie and, and second-year players. So I think the Jets make for an interesting situation. I know the latest noise is that uh, is that Mims looks like he's the odd guy out. Um, so we'll we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out. But I think yeah, there's, there's definitely um, some noise surrounding the Jets, especially with the emergence of Keenan Cole, who seems to all of a sudden be in the picture there. So I think the Jets are an interesting team to try and figure out a pecking order at wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, I'm right with you. I have the Jets on my list as well. I th- look, I think this is a very exciting year for Jet fans. They, they've made changes. Uh, you may not agree with them, but you know, uh, with, with uh, Sam Donald moving on and and, and bringing in the young quarterback, uh, you know, and then you've talked glowingly about Wilson. So you're, I know you're excited about you know him and and, and his potential prospects down the road in his NFL career. Yeah, you know, I think there's five receiving names here. I, I, you know, I love Jamison Crowder, but you know, I, it it is going to be puzzling to see how, how what happens here. Early on, Moore is getting, I would say, probably the most positive press. And to your point, Mims is not. But as you mentioned, you know, Keelan Cole has been been the guy in there. And they didn't they spent some money to bring Keelan Cole here. And he's been the guy on the field when there's been three receivers at the first unit. So it's a situation that I want to watch closely. Um, you know, I agree, like, you know, the, putting trust in a rookie quarterback. I know last year... That, you know, was the case for a few rookies where they actually played very, very well. Uh, but time will tell how that will play out for the, for the Jets. But yeah, I, I think I think this is going to be an interesting receiving group to, to watch out for. My my guess is that not a lot of these guys get drafted on draft day. But you know, or or if they do, it'll be in in, in the later rounds, i.e., or pe- people not paying up big bucks to to bring these players in. But I think uh, th- there are compelling reasons around all of them. And at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be three guys or so that are going to be on the field most consistently, barring injury. You know, one guy we didn't mention, too, and he had some big games last year, and he's just a spunky player, and it's the kid Berrios who, you know, another slot guy. Like, you watch some of these teams. Like, you, you put that player on another team where, like the Packers, who are in need of, like, a slot guy, and he's, an, he's a very interesting player. Uh, whenever he's been given an opportunity, he's actually produced. So just one other name to sprinkle in there. I'm, look, he's not going to get... He's probably not going to even be looked at, but I just think it's worth mentioning because he did make noise last year in, in the few games where he was uh, was out there for the Jets. All right. That said, who do you have next on your list? All right. Ne- next on my list is going to be the Bengals. And uh, the Bengals are going to throw the ball a lot. They threw the ball a lot last year. Uh, Burrow will be back uh, by the start of the season. Uh, he looks to be uh, re- rehabilitating very, very well. Uh, look, I think... I've talked about Boyd uh, in the past, and he has not gotten a lot of respect on, on, in fantasy circles, but he's managed to be very, very productive every single year. T. Higgins was very, very good last year. We know A.J. Green has moved on from this group, and Joe Burrow reunites with Jamar Chase. So, uh, look, I think a lot of people will probably end up, because of the rookie nature of, of the player and the excitement behind getting uh, a guy who is is reconnecting with his college quarterback, and Jamar Chase is an elite talent, so I don't want to lose sight of that. I think Jamar Chase most likely will go first in drafts, both on in snake and, and auction drafts in terms of value, and particularly dynasty drafts but I don't think you want to forget about either of these other players they're both very very good receivers I think a case can be made where all three of them are catching the ball somewhere between 800 and a thousand yards and producing for touchdowns uh, I just don't think they have that weapon out of the backfield to catch the ball as well with Gio Bernard moving on Joe Mixon can catch it they don't really have tight ends I expect a lot of catches from all three of these guys and I expect all these guys to be drafted in your fantasy drafts yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot to like about all of those receivers, and uh, this is another team along with the Bucks, where all three receivers are going to be big time fantasy football contributors. Um, they're different type of players, and uh, I know I know that you know everyone's talking up the connection between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, and that shouldn't be uh, something that's you know just glossed over. Um, He's a dynamic player, 
But, you know, Tyler Boyd is a PPR machine, and there's a real safety net with having a receiver like that. So I can see uh, why he is going to have good value. And, uh, boy, T. Higgins was coming on like a beast um, towards uh, the end of the year, and he was having some big games uh, fantasy-wise. So there's a lot to like about that those players. Uh, I, I think – uh, three talented players all bring different skill sets to the table. And uh, I think, uh, you know, not only will all three be drafted in every type of format, but uh, all three will be fantasy football factors this year for certain. Yeah. W- would it surprise you at the end of the year? I, I, like, let's say the team stays healthy. They don't have a great defense. Would it surprise you? And they don't really have tremendous tight end, like I said, presence. I think all three guys could actually catch a thousand yards worth of passes if they stay healthy. I mean, I think, you know, certainly Boyd in a PPR format um, yeah, it probably is the safest bet. Um, but, yeah, I could see, you know, all three of those guys, like you said, not having a tight end to uh, vulture a lot of catches away from those guys. I could see all three of those wide receivers um having having terrific seasons and uh it's all about the value and um how much different price wise in an auction draft and rounds uh what rounds they go in a snake draft uh that's what separates those players is the value but in terms of stats and ability uh agree with you that um all three uh will be factors this season all right Wiz, who's your next team I'm going with Eric Brown's Miami Dolphins. Um, and they remind me a lot of the Cincinnati Bengals situation where you have Jalen Waddell, rookie, connection with the quarterback, the same way Chase is with Joe Burrow. You have a uh, kind of like a, a guy who's count on for maybe receptions and Devontae Parker, um, the Tyler Boyd, Cincinnati. And then you have the other guy who seems to be forgotten all this, and Miami's T. Higgins is Will Fuller, who's going to serve a one-game suspension. But he has shown that he, when he stays on the field, he is capable of putting up dynamic numbers. He doesn't need that much volume to end up with, like, four catches for 118 yards and two touchdowns. And uh, he should not be a forgotten guy, um, because of, you know, Waddle and and uh, Devontae Parker. And I think a lot of people are forgetting about Will Fuller. But I think Miami has a very interesting situation at wide receiver. The only difference between the two teams is that Miami has a tight end in Gesicki who is going to be good. He's going to put up stats. He's going to take away catches from those three guys. But even, you know, with that being said, all three of those receivers are going to be major contributors this season in fantasy football. I think. All right, so so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play. I, I, they're on my list, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna play a little bit devil's advocate when it comes to Miami Dolphins for for a couple of other reasons and some some that you mentioned and a few that uh, that you didn't. So uh, there's been some early noise again in camp, but two has been a little bit inconsistent. I, he threw like five interceptions one of the days. I, I, look, I know it's his early days. Uh, look, he doesn't have the, there's not the security blanket of Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. Jacoby Brissett is the backup quarterback. It's a very different situation. Uh, I agree with you with those top three players. Um, I think it's kind of hard. They're different skill sets. Uh, and it is kind of hard to figure out, you know, who's going to be number one in this particular offense. I think there's some concerns I have here too, because I, I actually like the running back, running backs on this team between Malcolm Brown, uh, Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, and and by by the way, all of those guys can catch the football. You mentioned Gasicki can catch the football. Preston Williams is coming back. It's not that he was a slouch when he was able to stay on the field. This was a very very good player. Late last year, Lynn, they, you know, they executed a trade to bring Lynn Bowden Jr., who was drafted by the Raiders. Uh, they brought him on. Lynn Bowden Jr. catches 30 balls uh, late in the season for, for the Dolphins and, and was kind of their leading receiver in a few games because they were dealing with a lot of injuries. So I, I just feel this. 
from a fantasy perspective, I feel there's a lot of mouths to feed here, and I'm not sure that we're going to see the kind of volume that it will take for fantasy success, and plus the fact I'm still a little squeamish on, on Tua's success in this league. So I'm going to be a little bit gun-shy when it comes to this particular group. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily value them uh, astronomically. It's not, I'm not to say that I wouldn't want to take a chance on one of them because someone's going to emerge from this group. But I think it's a little bit more of a tricky situation to figure out where the targets go. I think you could see a lot more spreading of targets within this offense and dictated by some of the way, uh, some of the, way the games are played for the Dolphins in terms of, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily see them. I see some of their games where they're kind of winning with defense as well. So that's, that's kind of where I'm heading with this. I, I don't see tremendous production. Would I be surprised if any of these guys didn't have a you know 900,000 yard season? No would be the answer to that. So, so I'm a little bit less con- I'm a little bit more concerned on the production standpoint. I do agree with you. this is one of those teams that's difficult to figure out exactly which way it goes. Yeah, I mean, I think the pecking order is interesting. As far as, you know, the hesitation and, you know, taking a wait-and-see approach, look, I, I understand that. I just think, too, is another year removed from uh, his injury. I think he'll be better acclimated to the offense. Uh, another year under his belt, another year, you know, where he watched half the season. I think probably he – thought the plan was probably the plan was for him to sit on the bench all last year. I don't know what ended up happening and why he decided to make that switch, but I think there was a little bit of confusion. But I guess I, I like Tour a little bit more than most people in the fantasy community, but uh, I, I certainly understand the wait-and-see approach uh, for Miami and that offense going into this year. So with that said, uh, who's next on your list? All right, so first of all, let me ask you, how many more teams do you have on your list? Uh, let's see. I have uh, that that has not been talked about by either one of us yet. I have three. Okay, so I have I have to talk about. I have one definite one, and then I have two that you know are a little bit different situation. But but I'll talk about this team and. and and I can't figure out, and, and again, they're going to have a new quarterback. Uh, he's going to get a second chance uh, in the NFL in terms of uh, taking a team and leading a team uh, down the road in the playoffs, and that's the Indianapolis Colts and Carson Wentz. And I look at this receiving core, and T.Y. Hilton is a veteran guy. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., we talked about him, and we're not really sure. Kind of, He did finish the season strong, that playoff game. He was the best player on the field for them. Uh, Paris Campbell was out for a number of games. Uh, you know, look, this is a this is an interesting group, and I don't want to I don't want to disclude on the Indianapolis Colts as well a guy who had some big games down the down the season, and that was Zach Pascal. And this is a team that does have some presence at tight end. Um, you know, they, they do have Mo Ali Cox on this team. They have Jack Doyle. I think they moved on. I'm pretty sure Kyle Burton's currently a free agent still. So. I'm not sure. Again, this is, to me, this is a run-first offense uh, with Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack, uh, the group of running back uh, uh, Jonathan Wilkins. So I think this is a run-first team, but, you know, they're going to be in some games where they're going to need to throw the ball. At the end of the day, I do think Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be the best receiver out of this group, but, you know, would I be surprised if it's a little bit more balanced again? Because I think Paris Campbell showed some signs before he went down with an injury last year that he was ready to contribute. But again, a player that's already shown us injury prone in his first two seasons in the league. Pascal was really good down the stretch. And T.Y. Hilton was kind of a non-existent factor to start the year, but finished the year off strong. So I'm not sure quite how to how to balance these guys out. I, I don't think you're going to see any of them go for particularly high value, but how things kind of play out, particularly with a new quarterback who's trying to establish chemistry, it remains to be seen. Yeah, the Colts is one of the teams on my list as well. Um, I just think the dynamics are interesting. You know, just when people thought T.Y. Hilton was done, he showed he had more in the tank. Paris Campbell just cannot stay, you know, just as wasn't able to stay on the field. And uh, and Pippen, when he was out there, uh, he looked like he was getting better and better. So I agree with those guys. And then when you bring a new quarterback into the system, it even makes it a little bit more difficult to project. So I'm with you as far as the Colts as well. All right. Who's your next team, Wes? I mean, the last team I want to talk about is a team that I think, you know, we should be first on this list as far as interesting things to talk about, and that's how about them Cowboys? Um, <laughs> I, I think this is an interesting situation. Amari Cooper 
when they play at home, I, I mean, I have got to really delve into home and away Amari Cooper since he was with the Cowboys. But I can I guarantee you, his games at home, he is just dynamic, unbelievable stats. CeeDee Lamb was getting better and better and better. That kind of went down. That was kind of the end uh, for all of those Cowboy receivers. And, and Michael Gallup, you know, I guess a lot of people now, Going into the season, I'm going to look at him as third on the totem pole. But he has these games where um, he just comes out of nowhere and surprises you. So I think, you know, this offense can certainly support three good wide receivers. And the pecking order is interesting because of uh, Amari's Cooper, um, especially at home, the way Michael Gallup uh, just comes up with some of these big games and you're not quite sure when it's going to be the most erratic of the three. And CeeDee Lamb, you know, the idea of him uh, improving into his second year is kind of a scary thought because he was getting better and better and uh, he is a terrific player. So I have the Cowboys as a situation where on a week-to-week basis, it's going to be trying difficult to try and figure out a pecking order. And um, But all three of those guys um, are going to be fantasy football relevant this year um, and, uh, and put up good stats and should be drafted in every format. So I'm right with you uh, on that, Wiz. We know how this team started out last year. Uh, if if Zach Prescott, uh, Dak Prescott stays healthy in this offense last year, who knows what kind of numbers that, that all of these players would have thrown up. Uh, you know, we were dealing with uh, how, many, how many quarterbacks started for the Cowboys last year? Four different guys? Uh, Prescott? Uh, who were those other two clowns that they had in there for a couple of games? I can't even remember their names. And and obviously Andy Dalton as well. Um you know, this is a this is a very all right. Wasn't he one of the ones? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was a me- it was a messy situation. Um, look, I I do think, and there's probably a number of guys out there, uh, and you're pro- like you can make the case that Ceedee Lamb will end up making that next step and actually ends up from a production standpoint as the number one receiver on this team. Uh, you know, you mentioned home and away breakdown Amari Cooper, so I, I'm prepared for you, Wiz, this time around. So I really think it has to do with playing on a faster surface as opposed to playing on, on some of those grass fields where I think that's the case where with Amari Cooper where he just averages so much more yards per catch on, uh, on the artificial surfaces as opposed to natural turf. He played in natural turf when he was part of the Oakland Raiders, and then he comes to the Cowboys, they're playing on artificial turf, but when they're you know, on the road, that's not going to be the case all the time. But last year wasn't as glaring. It was something like 650 yards receiving at home, 460 on the road. It was astounding in 2019, 870 yards at home versus 320 on the road. And the year before, it was 690 at home and 317 on the road. So I think it's the fact that, that if, yeah, yeah, if you if you look at yards per catch, the guy's averaging 14 or 15 yards a catch at home and something like eight or nine on the road. So I don't know what the reason is behind it unless this is just a player that plays faster on the faster surfaces. That's potentially what we're looking at. I think there were games last year as this, as the season wound down for the Cowboys that actually Michael Gallup ended up being the number one receiver from a fantasy perspective for the Cowboys. So all three of these guys, like you said, relevant in terms of contributions, no question about that. Um, and I think uh, I think you'll see all... Gallup is definitely going to be last, but I think there'll be some arguments made by some fantasy fans in some instances, I think C.D. Lamb will be drafted ahead of Amari Cooper. I, I've never been a huge Amari Cooper fan. I just don't know what it is. He's never really excited me as much. I, I know how much you touted C.D. Lamb last year. I had him on a couple of teams as well. Very exciting player. You know, he'll have a year under his belt, a proper pro- proper year of preparation. So I, I do get that argument that you could see him emerge as the number one guy uh, into the coming season. So I, I, I look forward to watching it, but this is an explosive offense no matter what you say. Absolutely. That's all I have at uh, the teams this year as wide receiver. All right. For, you know, uh, we, we have no we, – we actually covered the same amount of ground. There, there is one team I want to talk about real quickly, and that is the Denver Broncos. And, and I'm, I, want to, I want to talk about it if, if Aaron Rodgers comes here and, and if he doesn't. Now, we've talked about the tight ends. We talked about them in the last episode. 
uh, font in Ogwabunum, uh, who was the college teammate of, of Locke. Uh, we know there's a lot of discussion about the way Locke and, and Bridgewater look right now. Uh, there's also a lot of noise in the background about you know potentially Aaron Rodgers or maybe even Deshaun Watson coming here, though the Watson one is probably way more unlikely given his uh, potential legal woes. Uh, but the receiving core here, it's deep. It's actually a deep receiving core. Cortland Sutton's coming back from the ACL injury. Uh, they drafted K.J. Hamler, uh, Jerry Judy last year as well, and uh, you know a guy that should not not be mentioned, and that's Tim Patrick, who who was very relevant last year from a fantasy perspective. So I guess what I want to ask you is, let's say Rodgers is here, and let's say he's not here. You know, this particular group is an interesting one. I'm not saying a lot of guys are going to get drafted, but you know, from a personnel perspective, it's a very solid group of wide receivers. Yeah, they're solid and they're all young, so that's what makes them uh, even more interesting. I like Jerry Judy. Um, I think if he had a competent quarterback, uh, you would see some terrific things out of him. He is an elite route runner. Um, I mean, just just uh, terrific route runner. Just you know, the quarterback play last year was so inconsistent, but um, if Aaron Rodgers was with Denver. I'd be trying to get Jerry Judy in every single league I was in. Um, not that I don't like the other receivers. Just, you know, with these type of injuries, I kind of want to give Colin Sullen at least a half a season to try and regain a little bit of form. Um, so I, I just think um, looking at the receivers, I think Jerry Judy is kind of it, it kind of an advantage over the other receivers, but again, he is held back by the inconsistent quarterback play. So as long as either it's either Locke or Bridgewater, uh, you have to take that into consideration when you're looking at Jerry Judy. Yeah, and then, you know, talking about Judy, you know, the chemistry at times definitely looked. You know, he he was number two in the league in drop passes behind Deontay Johnson. He dropped 14 balls, and I think a lot of that dropping of balls is because that chemistry just wasn't there. Remember, Judy is a rookie, and again, we talked about this last year, not not a normal year of preparation that a rookie has, but definitely, it definitely set Judy back last year, and you know, you put Rodgers in that situation, and holy cow, yeah, there's going to be. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of people jumping at that, uh, jumping onto that boat. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a fun exercise. I, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's it, it it is when you look at each situation. I think there, there there's reasons to be excited about players throughout these rosters. I think in, in the case of some of these teams that we articulated, uh, they're they they're just bigger passing games, right? And some of those other teams where the passing game is not as prevalent, you know, it, there's reason to believe that you want to see how things play out. So definitely uh, a, a good way to an, analyze and see what happens. But but I think uh, a, a very very good exercise in kind of laying out the fa- uh, laying out the fabric and foundation of what the receiving core looks like for some of these teams. I agree completely. And just, you know, one finishing up the, the final thought on that Denver situation is, you know, the way Drew Locke plays, I mean, he's got to try and and trade and trade and play the game more like Drew Bledsoe, but he was playing the game more like Drew Carey last year. That's a problem. That's a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one, Wiz. Fantastic. All right. Well, very good. Uh, that's a wrap-up uh, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. And we're on SoundCloud. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're listening, Wiz. Uh, enjoyable discussion as usual. And I'll wish you a good weekend. Uh, enjoy the U.S. Open. Uh, I, I got a tape in the background. Looking forward to catching up with some of that. Yep, we do. Yep, you do the same. And uh, thanks a lot. All right, Wiz. Later. <laughs>